This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high achieving B2B marketers to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt. Jeff is a creative, passionate product marketing executive with 20 plus years of product marketing, management, and development of B2B IT solutions, including cybersecurity, backup, data management and protection, data storage, and application security. He currently resides in the Boston area and is VP Product and Solutions Marketing at Acronis. Just a few of his career highlights include launching multiple new product lines while helping drive Veen's revenue growth from 250 million to more than 1 billion and customer growth from 90,000 to 350,000 customers. He worked with industry analysts to move Veeam into first-time leadership position in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for enterprise backup. And he helped extend Commvault's leadership position in multiple analyst reports. This is a podcast about heroes, and that's why you're here, Jeff. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. So first off, tell us, how do you start your day? Well, you know, in this world of remote working now, most of my days I'm working right here where you see me now. So I'm getting out of bed. I'm basically checking some email and I'm coming in here. I am in a situation now where I do go into into an office that's about an hour away once a week. That's relatively new because I just started a new position about six months ago. So I had been remote pretty much full time before that. It's actually been kind of a nice change to see some people without having to get on a plane, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to ask you about the new role over the last six months, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning and have you tell us your origin story. How did it all begin for you? So I started as uh, more of a technical person, software developer, did some customer support, phone support, this kind of thing, went into product management from there before I really got into a marketing role in product marketing in my case. It was really the bringing together of a couple of different interests of mine. If you go way back earlier than, you know, when I was an undergrad in, in college, I double majored in creative writing and computer science. And in the computer science, basically, I had some non-technical interest in college for a while. And then after a couple of summers... Yeah, I, I spent a couple summers moving furniture. And at that point, I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'll go back and get the comp side. <laughs> <laughs> Just so I can do that. And so like being creative as well. And so when I went into marketing, when I went into product marketing for more of a technical role, it allowed me to get into that kind of storytelling side of it. So that's kind of the origin of how I got into at least a marketing career from a technical career and how that's kind of worked out for me since then. That really is a perfect blend, right? I mean, you've got the left side of the brain, you've got the right side of the brain, you figure out how to use them both together. And I see a lot of that in marketing, but usually it's tilted one way or the other, right? You see people that are super creative and like the slogans, and then you have to teach them how to care about analytics and data. Did you struggle with that or was it just a natural part of both sides of your brain? It was a natural part for me. I mean, because I was a programmer, a computer scientist, a software developer, all of that was pretty easy. So getting into the data side, And I was a product manager also before I was a product marketer. So I was doing things like business case analysis and looking at revenue forecasts and building new price. So all of that stuff was able to come together in a nice way in what I'm doing now. Gotcha. Great. So the new position, you were at Commvault for a few years, three years? Almost three years I was at Commvault. That was an interesting transition. I mean, one of the things, I don't know if you were asked about some adversity at some point. So I'll get into it now since you asked about Combo. Yeah, great. During my career, I've been laid off twice. And the most recent time was at Combo. 
that happened at the end of last year. And, and I think, you know, it's important, especially now with the environment we're in with tech layoffs that have happened and, and things like that. It, it really, the first time I was laid off was actually when I, way back in 2013, about 10 years ago, when I was at Exagrid due to a cost cutting measure that led to my position at Beam. So I guess the message I was trying to send here is that both times I've been laid off, the end result of that has been a much better position and a higher role, mm-hmm. much yeah. more consistent with really what I wanted to be doing next anyway. Neither one of them, you know, were really anything that was my doing. They were both cost reduction moves that the companies were making. Mm-hmm. And when I went from Exagrid to Veeam initially, that was actually my first time I went into a specific product marketing role. At Exagrid, I'd been at like a, a product manager, but it was about a hundred person company. And so you're doing all kinds of different things at a company that size. So there was no formal product marketing, for example. So going into Veeam, I was a person manager for the first time. I was a product marketer for the first time. There's all kinds of other stuff I got to do there. It was a lot of fun. And then at Combo, more recently, I've been looking for a more senior level role even before I left there. And then when that layoff happened, it ended up leading to the role that I have now at Acronis as a VP. So for those of you out there that are in situations like that, I could say a lot more. Maybe we'll get into it along the way here, but, but keep your hopes up. There's a lot of good that can come out of that. That's such an important message. It's a little cliche to say that when one door closes, but I think it is good to have that mindset. And if you're open to what comes next, you'll find it as opposed to kicking rocks or getting sour about it or anything like that. One of the things that happened that was interesting when I joined Acronis is I also caught into a situation where I suddenly had to recruit a good number of people. So I inherited a role where I had to like do a lot of hiring and recruiting all of a sudden. So I ended up talking to some former people that I used to work with, whose jobs had also ended, things like this. I mean, everybody talks about networking and reaching out to your network, but it's also just, you know, don't be afraid to put the open for work and send messages. The role that I got here at Acronis, it was not an advertised role. And it was one that I only found out about through somebody in my network that happened to see that I said I was mm-hmm. open for work that I used to work with years ago saying, hey, this company's hiring. I'll put in touch with the recruiter and the team. And you know, things went forward from there. And it's so much easier in network now than it used to be earlier in my career where you literally had to go scary things like my kids talk about scary things like actually picking up a phone and talking to somebody (laughs) (laughs) just like that and you know you got your whole network now if you're being diligent about that on linkedin and other places and social media so isn't that funny pounding the pavement now means going and liking a bunch of people are connected with them on linkedin yeah it's very different 20 years ago really what it is you're pounding right exactly (laughs) so i think this is a great segue you talked about how things have changed just in terms of networking i'd love to ask how things changed in marketing over the course of your career i got really into marketing in around 2013 so even during that time there was a big change toward more digital marketing, more data you're able to get, more analytics, more, you know, just all of those, that whole kind of revolution that was moving forward at that time that is now kind of almost legacy, right? Those sorts of email marketing and all that stuff. It was relatively new 10, 20 years ago is now, you know, kind of like the old way of doing things. Nowadays, I mean, especially with generative AI and chat GPT, I mean, it's almost, you're seeing that everywhere now. That's almost becoming cliche if you're looking around at all on it. But I can tell you that even on my team now, because there's also pressure to make sure that you're keeping costs in check and making sure that people are being productive and all that. Things are changing now with AI so that you're actually creating a lot of content and the potential to do even more. Some people are scared of this meaning that people are going to lose jobs. I don't see that. I see people actually being able to get more creative, people actually being able to do 
more interesting things than just spending hours writing boring emails to people, mm-hmm. pitching the product, things like this. Now you can get to the things that you couldn't do. Because- exactly. So you can take some of those kind of less value add sort of writing and kick off an AI to help at least jumpstart you. We're not quite at the point where you can turn it over completely to an AI. You still got to look at this stuff. But I think that's a big thing that's changed as well. 20 to 40% um, yeah, productivity savings are very, very possible now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And how right. are you using AI now? Can you share a bit about that, about what you and your team are seeing and what's making Yeah, it? we're just getting started in it with my team because I just almost have recruited a new team here. Not completely new, but there's a lot of people that have come on and we're looking at how we want to do some things that are new. So it's really, my team owns a lot of the content and content strategy in the company. So a lot of the ways we're looking at AI right now is how to generate content more efficiently. And it might be content like, you know, customer facing, partner facing, it might be internal announcements, it might be all kinds of things like this. Now you're not going to turn over to AI some like deep dive white paper on, you could try that, you'd probably get something. <laughs> yeah. But it's really, you know, we've seen people that we've engaged at third party writers where we've noticed, yeah, you just kind of use uh, chat GPT for this. So we could kind of do that without having to pay you. So thank you, but we'll do that on our own. A lot of it is in content generation. We're starting to look at things like not just written content, but videos as well. We haven't put anything out there yet like that, but it's kind of funny. My son was playing around with some of this stuff where he was creating a video and he just like took a script that he made and stuck it in some AI engine. And it came back with like a video that was created for him that had reached out and grabbed like stock images from elsewhere on the internet. And stuff like this. I mean, it looked clunky and it was funny looking, but you can imagine from where that is now that where that will evolve over the you know over the months, months years to come. Yeah. So we see a good amount of content being created from that, but in a way that we can take our current content people and use them in a more creative way. Yeah, yeah. I love the angle of getting more creative, of getting act, getting to get to things that were on the back burner, nice to dos, want to dos, now that can make a difference. What about Jeff? Have you looked at and how are you planning for, if you can make more, does the market want more? Is it going to move the needle? How are you going to test and tell what actually will make a difference or if you're just flooding the market with more X, Y, Z? Well, that's interesting because I was just reading something actually just a little bit before this call about how there's some analysts out there that are saying, well, AI isn't really going to save money. It's just going to uh, generate more demand for content and people are just going to create more and and do, Mm -hmm. you know, bombard people more with that. And that sort of assumes that we haven't reached the saturation point yet, which I don't know whether that's the case or not. So to your question, you still need to look at content performance measures, what sort of yeah. things are running, what sort of things you're actually getting leaked from, what sort of things are converting. And the more content you put out there, you know, are you going to get a diminishing level of returns from that? So I don't know where exactly that needle lands. And everybody's doing this. You can just imagine that you're, people are already getting a ton of junk mail. So I think that's the other thing that we're going to have to think of. And I don't know the answer to this right now, but coming at people in ways other than just like emails and messages. And I spent half my day just hitting hang up on some call that I don't know who it's from or deleting some email or filtering in the junk. And so that just will get even a greater volume of that potentially if we do this. So. I don't have the answers to how we measure that yet, but we'll certainly have to keep an eye on that. Appreciate That's a big you speculating one. with me. It's a big question mark yeah. for a lot of people right now. 
probably do one of these podcasts with AI if you wanted to. Right. Um, we should try yeah. and just listen to it and see how, if it's better than what we can do. You person. could get like, let's say there's some executive you want to really interview and you have like a bunch of content online. You could just like load that into an AI engine. <laughs> so Leslie, we should try that. And then like edit it into the rest of this podcast and just say the exactly. next 45 seconds are AI generated yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Questions. Well, what's funny about that is that Arnold Schwarzenegger has a daily podcast that I subscribed to a while ago. And what he's done is taught some bot how to imitate his voice so that when you listen to this podcast, it sounds just, you know, how Arnold sounds with his accent and everything. Yeah. It sounds just like him. Now he'll make a joke at the beginning that no, he's not a cybernetic organism and all this stuff, you know, as you might imagine. And but then he'll go, the whole thing just sounds like him. So he's got people on his staff that are creating what they want him to say, and then they have a scene that reading it in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger on a podcast. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. Like a 15 minute podcast that goes wow. every day. Wow. Oh, wow. Jeff, yeah. we could interview someone from history. Right? You could. Yeah. Content from them and generate an avatar. I think you we should could. do it. You could do that. You could make sure that a bunch of stuff that you yourself say is in writing. And so that after you're gone someday, people can still talk to you and stuff uh, like that. Oh, that's wow. a whole new spin on your digital footprint. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, people are going to be interviewing you. How's it Digital go? afterlife. Wow. <laughs> All these things that you're supposed to think about how to use AI and how the applications and the impacts, except we're thinking about a space that isn't here or is so evolving so quickly. And it's like, you're supposed to think about it, but it's not the brain you have now. It's the brain you'll have in six, 12, 18 months in a situation that's right. changing so quickly. Fascinating it, stuff. It makes me curious about who, when you are recruiting and you are hiring Jeff for your teams, are you looking for people who can still create content? Are you looking for people who can do inputs to AI or people who can sit around and go, yeah. what kind of cool podcast could we do with somebody from history? Like, what's yeah, the job description now? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm in the cybersecurity industry, so a lot of it is around some of that domain experience for the people that are writing content. I mean, I suppose, yeah, there is an AI whisperer aspect of it that's emerging, right? And I have people on my team that are looking at how we can best use this thing. But that'll be it. I mean, of course, there's not to mention the fact that you could start conducting interviews for these people with AI as well. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think looking at that skill set of people, we're not quite to the point where the technology has been around enough where you have to have, you know, X number of years of using this stuff yet. Mm -hmm. You can imagine that happening in the future with job descriptions and things like that. So it'll just be another tool that people are using in addition to what yeah. the one that yeah. we for today. We just had Paul Reitzer on the podcast, Jeff. He's the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute and mm -hmm. Conference, so Macon, which just happened at the end of July, 2023. And he was talking about how he requires new hires now to use AI to generate content, list out the prompts, show what you generated, show how you edited it then, and then consider, is your job necessary? How does it change in 12 months? Yeah. And he talked about the responsibility as hiring managers and as business leadership of when you bring someone on, make sure that they're actually going to have a role. Like what is their best and highest use? going forward and how does that change? Right. And I think a lot of it still, certainly from a marketing aspect, is still knowing your buyers, still knowing your customers, still knowing the people that you're trying to market these products to. Because while you can put a lot of stuff into an AI tool and get that back, somebody has to look at that and discern whether this looks legitimate or whether somebody's just going to look at that and just delete it. So I think that's where Certainly when you're in a specific industry and you're looking for domain experience, which is more important in product marketing than in other parts of marketing, 
those are some of the things that I think that I look for now and that I think will continue. Yeah. Can I just zoom out real quick? And this is just for selfish reasons, like keeping the AI of it aside, you mentioned content and content strategy. I'm just super curious. And I think AI is not going to be in every organization and every marketing organization. Content is. And I'm hearing from people that I work with, and I'm certainly curious, when you're building a content strategy, what are the things that you consider? What are your KPIs? What are your measurements? What are all the channels that you consider? And I know this is a broad question, but speaking with somebody like you, you're not just coming up with a list of assets that then you hand over to a a campaign planning organization. So what all goes into it? What are you measuring? I think in the planning stages early on, you're really looking at what are the campaigns you're wanting to run? What are the products that you need to support? What are the needs across the sales organization in terms of what they need to help pitch, whether it's partner or customer or whatever it might be? And then you're putting together your content strategy from that. And then, I mean, the ultimate measurement, of course, is you know how what, where how it all ends up leading the revenue at some point. But mm-hmm. along the way, you know, you're looking at usage statistics and things like this. If it's online, you might be looking at things like downloads or views. There's all of those types of things, and a lot of marketing teams. You need to be surprised. You go into some organizations that are, you would think of that have been around for a while and are pretty mature, and they're not measuring a lot of this stuff that well necessarily. Mm-hmm. Some of it ends up being, let's kind of, let's try this and see what sticks. Other organizations are measuring it much more deliberately. And that's actually one of the things we're trying to instill here in the role that I'm in now is really that ability to really measure that better and get more metrics on how it's actually doing. You really want an ultimate return on the investment of that. And then, but how do you measure that? It's kind of where. Ideally, you want to have content in all parts of that funnel helping contribute, whether it's conversions at the top level or bottom or wherever it might be, from attracting somebody to want to click on something to more interest, all the way down to, you know, how do we compete with this particular competitor and win this particular and close this particular deal, right? Yeah. So depending on where in that funnel that content might lie would help dictate those KPIs as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Jeff, in cybersecurity, this question might land a little differently than in other industries. What keeps you up at night? With the people that I've just brought on here, so I've got a good chunk of my team that's only been on this at this company and on my team for like four months or less. And I've got what I feel like a lot of good people that I just hired and really making sure that I'm able to help them maximize their potential. You know, ideally when you bring in somebody in a role, whether you've just brought them in or they're already there, you want that intersection of what their interests are with what the company needs so that you can help move everything forward. And for me, it's really about the big recruiting challenge that I had is now a big onboarding and acclimating everybody to the culture challenge at a place that I've only been at six months or so myself. So it's just helping the team get together and bring their potential together and putting them really in the best position to be successful. I think about that a lot and making sure that there's not obstacles in the way that, you know, that I can help with. That's great. I'm going to ask the opposite question. So Leslie asked what keeps you up at night. What gets you excited? What are you excited about? I mean, it's almost the flip side of that coin. You know, I've just built this new team and there's a lot of potential here going forward to really make a difference in the company and make a difference in the industry. When I've looked at past roles that I've had, in this industry, you know, I've been in companies where when I was at Bean, for example, I joined them when they were about a $200 million company and was there for six years. And it grew from there to over a billion in revenue and from like 1,200 people to over 4,000. So super exciting. And that's, that's the kind of opportunity that we're looking story. for. We yeah. We podcast on that. We well. could. And, you know, when I joined the Cronus where I am now, that was the kind of opportunity I was looking for. And it's a similar type of situation here where I feel like there's a really a lot of growth potential. But you got to be able to execute on that. And the team that I just put together is a big part of that as well. 
what we can do to really help us as a company grow, whether it's in you know the messaging we put together, ultimately to the sales that we generate, help our partners grow. We've got a lot of partners who are arming and enabling them to help grow. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge, exciting opportunity. And that's what I get excited about is coming in every day. That's great. I love that. I love that what gets you excited is people-focused. You didn't say making more money. You didn't say MarTech. You went right to the people. That's awesome. I mean, that's it ultimately answer. leads to some of that stuff, if sure, we're being sure. honest. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. but that's not, that's, you don't usually lead with that if you're thinking about this in the right way. So, yeah. yeah. For Veeam Software, you and you had that incredible run and made such, you know, we're on the team that made such a difference for the company. I mean, $250 million to $6 billion. Mike. To $1 billion, not quite $6 billion. Okay, sorry. <laughs> My story is better. We're going fine. So, so now you have the opportunity to do, you know, a repeat or something like that before you were in the senior director product marketing role. So what's different now that you're taking on this challenge as VP product and solutions marketing? The challenges are somewhat similar. I mean, I have a little bit more, I had a lot of visibility to the executive team and the founders at Beam, even when I start, even when before I was the senior director, but when I started there, I was a senior manager and then got promoted a couple of times and ended there in that role which is one of the things that was really exciting for me at that company. I think there I was kind of building up that influence as I went along, whereas here I'm coming in with, I guess the expectations are higher. One difference when I was coming in here, right? Because now then it was almost like, oh, this person can really help us and lead in these areas. Now it's like this person we're hiring to lead in these areas and that's what we need to have happen. So I guess there's a little bit more pressure aspect of it that way, but also a little bit more opportunity as well, because you're now coming in with the resources and with the team and with the people right off the bat to be able to do that with. I mean, there I was growing a really small team into something bigger. Here I've, I've grown a bigger team into something that's even bigger than that with a bigger capacity to influence things immediately. Definitely. We have a lot of people listening to this podcast that are at the VP or CMO level. They just want to hear what other people at their level are doing. But we have a lot of people earlier in their career that get excited about what growth could look like. I'm curious if you have any advice for the younger generation or people earlier in their marketing career. If you're looking at marketing or if you're looking at something, I mean, for me, it's like IT. But even if you're not looking at IT, you know, think about the domain that you want to really be in and that you really care about and that really gets you excited. I mean, I started pretty early in my career in this IT infrastructure world. At the beginning, it was doing literally doing customer support, sitting there on phone calls all day and seeing the customers, yeah. which is a great way to learn, by the way. You're not doing it in a sales situation, so you're basically listening to people complain about the product all day. It's funny, actually, I'll give you a little anecdote as an aside. You know, depending on where you sit in a given company, like literally where you sit, because back then this was before most people were working remotely. Part of the time I was at one of the companies I worked for, I was literally sitting with support all the time and at the end of the day, you would leave there thinking, oh my God, this product is terrible. We'd go, <laughs> never going to grow, right? Or just everybody hates them. And then, but then, you know, another part, that even in the same company, sitting on a different floor, surrounded by sales and marketing people, everything was, you know, rose colored glasses, everything was great. Everything, I guess, where I'm going with that is if you expose yourself to a bunch of different kinds of functions earlier in your career, especially if it's in a domain that you really care about. Because along the way in your career, you're going to be working cross-functionally with so many different mm-hmm. types of people, whether it's marketing, whether it's R&D, whether it's sales, whatever it might be. You just have that much more ability to see things more holistically and have more credibility in those areas. Don't get to like, if you want a career in a particular area, I would say, think about what you're passionate about in terms of a domain and the function itself, be a little bit more flexible there and take whatever you want in there. 
if you have more passion for a particular role, like, oh, I really want to do marketing, then think about what makes you excited about marketing. Why do you want to market? And usually people gravitate towards some sort of product line or industry or had some sort of influence that got them excited about it. And so mm-hmm. I think that domain focused, I think that flexibility and taking different types of functional roles, they're really important for me because now as a product marketer, I'm sort of at this hop between product management, R&D, mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of those roles earlier in my career. So I can literally been in those shoes in a lot of cases, which makes it that much easier to bring teams together, to drive agreement on things, to move things forward, to have empathy for what other people are dealing with, all that stuff. That's great. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. That's fantastic. Is there a burning topic? Is there something you're really passionate about that you want to take the opportunity to share out? I think the one thing that I would point to with respect to marketing in particular that I'm passionate about, and this is kind of a timeless thing, regardless of how the technology changes, and that's the messaging and the positioning and the importance of that and the time that you spend doing that. And if anybody that's ever been on any of my teams is listening to this, they know this mantra pretty well from me because it's one of the things that I preach early on is that take your time to really know who the buyer is, what kind of language you need to talk to them in really get to know them. And as a counterpart to this, make sure that you're talking to your actual customers as much as you can. Sometimes it's easy to get away from that and be in this kind of ivory tower and rely on other people as proxies for that. But whenever you can get an opportunity to do that, it's critical in really being able to come up with the messaging, come up with the stories you're trying to tell. No matter what we're doing, whether it's with AI or whatever it might be, that's a core thing that I don't ever see really changing because that's really the essence of what we're doing for marketing. Yep. Got it. The only thing that I would mention here, and it's not directly marketing related, but it's still work related. And it's something that I thought about more, especially as we went into this COVID period. Before that, I was traveling an awful lot. You know, earlier in my career, when my kids were really young, I purposely prioritized that I had a job that was near my house, that I could come home whenever I wanted to. And sometimes for men in the industry, you don't, the social norm is that you don't think about this as much, but but you should. And I think that after that role, I started traveling more. If I look back, you know, I didn't probably need to do that as much. I, you know, pay attention to what else is going on in your life, to whether it's family, whether it's your own personal health, whether it's your fitness and exercise and eating well and all that stuff. It's something that when I, if people ask me anything about like whenever they would have done something differently earlier, you always learn something from certain career moves. I always feel like well, even if I made a mistake there, it's something that I could learn from and, and wherever I did then it got me to somewhere else that I ultimately was able to take that experience and apply to it. But you can't really get back some of these things like time yeah. with your kids when they're young or health and stuff like this. So don't be afraid to prioritize that specifically for certain periods of time. That period of time for five years when I made sure I was in one town over from where I lived. I mean, my lunch hour was literally driving somewhere else in the parking lot and taking a nap (laughs) because my kids were really young and we were acting and all this stuff. I couldn't do that if I was on the road and all this stuff. So that's something that I cared about it a lot, but now I'm even more passionate about it looking back at it. I love that answer so much. And just chasing work-life balance, I think just in general is good for anybody, family or no family. I grew up and I felt like we had something to prove. And so we would work a ton of hours and work on the weekends. And to your point, Jeff, like you work late and you're giving up time with your kids. The older you get, I think the more you realize you can step away at five o'clock, the work will be there tomorrow. The company's not giving you more than than your work-life balance is worth. It's good for mental health and all that, right? And you realize when you get further in your career too, that people aren't going to hold it against you if you can mm-hmm. prioritize 
things. I think when you're younger, you think I've got to just be in high gear all the time or else I won't be able to grow as much or I won't be able to advance as quickly. And I suppose there's some cultures that might still do that to some extent. But I think, and if there is, it's probably a little bit toxic. You should probably be looking at some other things anyway. But in general, most people are more understanding and more in the reality of that being important anyway. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Definitely. So Jeff, we'd like to end with a little bit of easier questions, quicker questions, kind of a speed round to end. It's more on the fun side of things. Okay. So Jeff, if your life is a movie, who plays you? Russell Crowe. Oh, that's great. Nice. I like that. What's your favorite KPI? I mean, you know, the most relevant one is just return on investment for a particular effort that you're doing without getting more specific than that. That's a good one. All right. First job, worst job. What was my first job? either mowing lawns or, you know, I was a cook in a pizza place, one of these sorts of things I used to do. Worst job. I mean, I would say it was probably that restaurant oriented one, even though I didn't get a lot out of it in terms of just, I think some of these worst jobs end up helping you prioritize what you really want to be doing later. So once I got further along in my career, they weren't that bad. I'm violating the lightning round rule here, but go ahead. No, that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. What's the last book you read? I'm reading a couple right now. The one that I last finished was Outlived by Peter Atiyah, The Science and Art of Longevity. And it's about what just sounds like the, the various things that you can do to not only have you help you live longer, but have that health span last as long as you can. And what was the best tip from the book? The importance of sleep. And as I've read a little bit more, that's why I got this ring. <laughs> if you read a little bit more about that, you realize the impact of that on potential things like how likely you are to get Alzheimer's and other things like this when you get older. And we do things with a culture like criticize our teenage kids when they sleep 10 hours until whatever on a weekend, and you really shouldn't be doing that So, because <laughs> they need that. There's a lot of things that it gets into, which we can get pretty weighty here with all of the top causes of death and these sorts of things. <laughs> but I'll leave it at sleep. And it's a great book if anybody's interested in that sort of thing. That's great. What was the name of it again? One more time. It's called Outlive. Outlive. There we go. Cool. Thank you. Who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? I don't know that I have a good answer to that one. I don't know. I'm going to decline that one. <laughs> I'll allow it. It's never a bad thing to say uh, your partner or one of your kids. Well, I thought about that. I could say my wife or my kids, but they would just know I'm just being cheesy. <laughs> okay, then you can say Danny and myself. I'm not in his phone. <laughs> <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow like, and be famous for one thing, what would it be? I mean, I don't really know that I'd want to be famous for anything. One of the other things I was reading recently is about this, is about whatever you leave behind. There's like the stuff you did in your career. And the stuff people say in your eulogy. And so there's like the eulogy stuff and the career stuff. And so, and it made me think, yeah, I need to work probably on the eulogy stuff a little bit more. So rather than being famous, I would rather say that I would want at that point in my life or after my life's over for the people that I care about and love to speak in a way of me that that I'd be proud of now. That's great. Nice. We haven't heard that answer before. I love no, that. that is yeah, that really connects for me. That's a good one. And that actually came from a book by David Rolfs, and I forget the name of it, but that's where the, the eulogy values versus like resume values thing came yeah. Sorry, the last name? David Brooks, the former, I don't know if he's still a columnist, but he used to be with the New York Times. Nice. That's okay. incredible. What's the best compliment you've ever received? This is, I don't know if it's the best, but it's a more recent one. Just people when you're taking on a role somewhere telling you that, you know, after you've been there a little while, that, that they're glad that you're there. But they're happy yeah. that you're there. They like working with you. That 
that you're a positive influence on what's going on. And that's a fairly simple one. I could think about it more and probably come up with something that's a little bit more interesting than that, but that's a recent one, I should say. Yeah, yeah it's great. Is there something that you've dreamed of doing for some time but haven't yet, and why? I would say just being able to travel more with my family instead of just stuff. Because I've seen a lot of places around the world and all the work travel that I've done, and a lot of the photos are selfies of me. <laughs> and I would have loved to be able to go all those places with people. And a couple of times I've been able to like meet my wife somewhere and something like this. And that's something we're trying to do more of, especially now that the kids are older. And But yeah, I would say family travel related type of stuff, being able to see more things. And COVID kind of caught a couple of years of that out too. So we're trying to catch yeah. up. That's great. Can you describe yourself in five words? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the first five words that I would come up with would be. That's a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> One word, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, you did ask that as a yes or no, so I guess I got away with that one. Okay, I'll ask you a different one. Do you have a nickname? My team at Veeam used to call me the Captain. Oh, okay. Captain Crumb. I, I like it. I think there was another inside joke that I wasn't completely aware of with that, <laughs> and they convinced me to like change my name on Instagram to that, which I did for a while. Oh, and that's they funny. Laughed at it anytime it came up. I think there's something else going on there, but. And they even got me a baseball hat and said that on it too. So that, oh, that's that was great. Fun. Yeah. That's great. Fun. All right. Fantastic. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't, Jeff? I don't think so. I think there may even been some things that I didn't want to talk about and did. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank I like you. it. No, I think that's it. Fantastic. Oh, well, this was so great. I really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. It was fun. I really appreciate you making time. It's just wonderful to get to meet people who are really at the top of their game. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. All right. Take care. Have a great weekend. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you subscribed and give us a five-star rating. It helps us increase the podcast's reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover by Andra Lazord.